Are you selling your medical devices in the UK? And because of Brexit, you need a UK responsible person by January 1st, 2021? Okay, then you should contact me now by email at info at easymedicaldevice.com. Info at easymedicaldevice.com. Talk to you soon. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I'll share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Lazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today, we will help you understand the situation for notified bodies. So you were a lot asking, uh, what is the situation with notified bodies? Can I call a notified body now? Can I get certified now for EUMDR? And I have with me a notified body that will explain that to us and will explain also the difficulty to get this accreditation for EUMDR and maybe also IVDR. So it's the same thing. So I have with me uh, Caroline Doregherati. So please, Caroline, uh, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Thank you, Manir. How are you? Lovely. Um, Thank you for having me today. And you're welcome. So I'm doing really great. Uh, I think you are located in Ireland, if I remember. Yeah, in Ireland, the country right. of Ireland. So great. So uh, thank you for calling. So you are uh, uh, from a notified body. So which notified body is it? <laughs> so I am the Director of Medical Devices at the National Standards Authority of Ireland. So the Irish notified body. So NSAI. So NSAI. Exactly. We, we call it, we, we know it better with NSAI. So. Absolutely. So uh, Caroline, can you make an introduction of yourself quickly? So who you are, uh, what you are doing specifically, and then we can go through the question that uh, everybody wants to hear about. Absolutely. So, hi everyone. My name is Caroline. I am the Director of Medical Devices here at NSAI. Uh, I've been in this position for two and a half years now. Prior to this role, I was the Head of Clinical at NSAI for four years. And I am a qualified doctor. I graduated from the Royal College of Surgeons in Ireland in 2002. And I have over 12 years clinical postgraduate experience uh, working in a variety of different specialties. I completed a postgraduate diploma in dermatology and a master's in allergy also. So that's my history. <laughs> so you, you are really medical specialized, if I can say so. It's a, it's a, good, it's a good section that you, that you have chosen here. So uh, you know how, if I can say, maybe to use some medical devices and now you are helping also to, uh, to certify them, which is great. Um, yeah. As we said at the beginning, so you are from NSAI, so which is a notified body. You are accredited for EUMDR, so you can help people uh, regarding the new certification, so EUMDR. Um, but uh, mainly what I want to understand, and this is mainly the, to the talk of today, is uh, what is this journey to get uh, accredited uh, for uh, UMDR? Because it, it looks like from, from the outside, we are not inside, so from the outside, it looks like really a, a long journey, a difficult journey. And I want to understand more from the inside, so how it is, what it is, and is it really so difficult? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I'll try and simplify this very complicated process for you, okay. uh, Munir. So NSAI, as you know, was designated under or is designated under the directives, um, the Medical Devices Directive, the In Vitro Diagnostic Directive, the Active Implantable Medical Devices Directive also. So we were already an established notified body. Um, when 
I suppose the MDR was published back in 2017. We had a Prior to this, prior to the final draft being published, we'd set up our working group within our notified body to look at our processes in relation to the processes within the regulation. So, as we know, the regulation is quite an extensive document. There's an entire chapter, chapter four, given over to the requirements of the notified body, and there's an entire annex given over to the requirements of the notified body also. So, that's called Annex 7. So, um, we had our application in. We were one of the first applications in for the medical devices regulation. You had to apply to your competent authority. In Ireland, our competent authority is the HPRA, the Health Product Re Regulatory Authority in Ireland. So we had our application in on the 27th of November 2017. So people say to me, how long does it take to get designated exactly. under the medical devices regulation? And I've probably wrongly been telling people it takes two years, but really it takes you know at least two and a half years. So we got, you know, we had our application in on the 27th of November. We didn't get designated until February 13th, 2020. So what goes on in between? There's a lot of back and forth going on in between. You send your application in, your competent authority reviews the application. Um, they have within the regulation about 30 days, but then there's a lot of back and forth between the competent authority and the notified body to get that preliminary assessment report proper and ready for the commission. So your competent authority then submits it to the commission. The commission at that point starts to appoint a joint assessment team who is going to have to review your application. And that team will also be the team that will come on site for your audit. So the joint assessment team is like the auditors uh, for a manufacturer. It's the same as an auditor uh, that is coming to audit, the, audit a manufacturer. Here, it's the joint, joint assessment team is kind of the auditors from the EU commission or from the competent authorities that are coming and then reviewing what you are doing. Absolutely. So we had a joint assessment team made up of 10 different individuals from different member states and the European Commission. 10, 10 people? Ten auditors came. Two of them were in an observer capacity, but they were actively auditing us as well. So we had a four-day, ten-auditor audit. Really? So, I, mean, I, I mean, it's already a nightmare for a manufacturer when you have two or three auditors because you have to have maybe multiple streams, uh, multiple people to answer their questions. So how did you, I mean, was it the same thing? You had multiple streams of questions? Really? It's the same thing. We had multiple streams. We had the boardroom that was divided up. We had multiple other meeting rooms that we had different individuals in. So at that point in time, I was head of clinical. So I was running the clinical room. There were other people running different processes as well. So, you know, it was a full on for four days. I don't think any of us will ever forget it. Okay. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, I suppose what you have to consider, we had our joint assessment audit, on-site audit in June 2018. At that point in time, only then were guidance documents coming out. So we were, had built a system based on the regulation, but we hadn't got the guidance documents behind them to structure the system. So it's very, you know, it was very difficult. Um, obviously, non-conformances were given. I don't know of any notified body that hasn't had non-conformances after the audit. And then you go into what's called the submission of the CAPA plan phase. And that's the phase where we see the biggest backlog for notified bodies. So in general, and notified bodies have been surveyed by the network of notified bodies, it's taking up to 200 days for the CAPA plans to be submitted and approved by the designating authority before they're then submitted further to back to the joint assessment team for review and for comments. So then you get comments coming back at you and it kind of opens up the process again. So it, it's a very, very long process. 
By December 2019, I was just standing up giving a, a talk to the board about the importance of our medical device function within NSAI. Yeah. And that day we heard that we were then literally just going to be processed on, sent on to the commission that the competent authority were happy enough with us. They were sending it onto the commission, the report, which was then going to go into another phase of open consultation between the members of the joint assessment team. Once the joint assessment team were happy, then a further consultation went on within all the member states until eventually then you're presented at an MDCG meeting for designation, which occurred. We got designated on the 13th of February. I was in Brussels at the time. I was about to stand up to give a presentation about the lack of notified bodies in the system. And a colleague in NSAI emails me and goes, God, Caroline, we've been designated. Isn't it great? So that kind of took the wind out of my sails for the presentation, as you can imagine. But, you know, so it's, it's a really long process. And, you know, there's so many reasons for it to be such a long process. Um, Annex 17, and I, I would tell manufacturers to look at Annex 7, Annex 7, sorry, not 17, to see what the requirements of the notified body are. They are extreme requirements, especially for the competency of our staff. We had to review every single staff member that we've had that has been designated under the directive, review them against the new codes and see if they could be designated under the regulation under the new codes. So we have our own competency matrix to, to tell us what staff we can send to what sites and what staff who can work on certain products. And that is laid out specifically in the regulation. So it's, it's it, as you mentioned, it's really a tough process to be a notified body within MDR, but um, do you consider that it was easier to do that with MDD? Ooh, that's, a, that's a very interesting question. So because there was no guidance documents originally when everyone was submitting their applications on the 27th of November to be the first notified body in, um, we were all kind of submitting and trying to manipulate our current processes into the regulation. That was not the right way to look at it. You really needed to look at the regulation as a separate entity. Trying to manipulate the directive processes into the regulation processes didn't work. And that's probably why so many of us were stuck for such a long time within the CAPA plan phase as well. So, you know, if you ask me, is it easier to be coming from the directive into the regulation or to be a, a notified body just setting up, there are pluses and minuses to each side. If you are just coming new onto the market as a new notified body, you're obviously just taking the regulation and running with it. Um, but obviously you have a different process when you're already established under the directive. So I don't think either one is, is perfect. So <laughs> you're just in the situation you're in. <laughs> that somebody that uh, wants today to create a notified body uh, will have the same chance, if I can say, as, as you that is already MDD, but they, you have more experience. It's only that that is maybe the, the difference. You have more experience with the, everything uh, instead of somebody that has more experience, but you can still have some people that uh, just came out notified bodies that uh, um, give up with uh, this process and want to create a, a new one. So this is really uh, two different processes from starting to from zero and starting with already uh, some kind of uh, a basis on there. Obviously, I suppose our advantage is that we have highly competent staff already who got their competency under the directive. And that's where our advantage lies, that we, you know, we've obviously got a, a quite a broad product portfolio. We have experience certifying a number of medical devices. So that's where the advantage of an established notified body is. So we were around, if I can say, 60 to 70 notified bodies under the medical device directive. Now we are at 17, if I remember well, from, from today. So, um, and there is apparently on the pipe, there is around 30 to 40 that are still waiting uh, to arrive to the finish line, uh, but it's still less than when we were under NDD. So um, 
is there less notified bodies that are really wanting to get this challenge and to get MDR accredited? Um, we're told that there are a lot in the pipeline, I suppose. That, so we're told that there are a lot of notified bodies in the process that they will be coming through. Now, we've already seen that the date of application of the MDR has been postponed a year. If the date of application had happened and we were only quite a minimal number at that point in time, we would have been in a very bad situation. Um, I suppose we are advised, as you said, there's possibly about 46 people notified bodies who are applying under the medical devices regulation, about 15, I think, under the in vitro diagnostic regulation. But I think the pinch point there at the moment, again, is in the CAPA plan phase where you're going back and forth with your designating authority, making sure that your processes are uh, up to date and compliant with the regulation. Um, I think there's also, you have to think about the political end of things. Brexit has had an impact. We've seen some notified bodies leave because of the impact of Brexit. The fact you have to have your notified body has to be in that member state. It has to be within the European Union. Um, like the head of the notified body also has to be established within a European Union member state also. So, you know, there are, there are certain specific requirements. I am hopeful that there will be other notified bodies coming online, absolutely, because we need it to get all the medical devices that are needed within the European healthcare system. We don't want a, a situation where there are no devices available to the doctors, especially during a pandemic like this right. that we're undergoing at the moment. Yeah, no, it's clear. And uh, yeah, the, the, the number of notified bodies is uh, really something that can help a lot of manufacturers because they will get more resources, more, more possibilities, if I can say, to get accredited. As you mentioned, the UK, we had the Brexit. Uh, we have Switzerland now with, uh, and maybe Turkey with also some uh, Swixit and Turkzit. We don't know for now. So it means that we can still lose more notified bodies. And I don't know if they can recover, if I can say, to get uh, um, EU accredited, uh, UMDR accredited afterwards if they get um, their uh, mutual recognition agreement signed. So it's something that uh, is also reducing the number of, of uh, candidates, if I can say, to this uh, accreditation. So... Um, as, as we said, so we have some people or some notified bodies that are in the pipeline now. Uh, we said also that, yeah, there is this CAPA process where all the non-conformity should be managed. Uh, do you think that even if those people or those notified bodies are on the process, they, there can be still some announcement of some notified bodies that give up and say, okay, it's too difficult, we will not go through, there is too much non-conformities, it's too much resources, etc., and uh, we, we stop here. Well, I suppose that is something that they, people are thinking about. Like the, as I was mentioning, the competency requirements for the staff within the notified body are so high that there's only a very limited amount of people with these specialties that are available to the market. So that's something that every notified body is considering at the moment. We're all recruiting actively and heavily at the moment to to insource all those competencies that we need within the notified body. And that's a big reason why, you know, if you, your scope of designation is dependent on your staff and the and the codes and the competency that they bring. So it's a reason why some notified bodies might not be able to fulfill the requirements. You're supposed to have two people per code that you're designated to. That's quite a significant requirement of staff members. If one person leaves, you have to recruit heavily into that post again. So, you know, those are things that we have to think about in relation to this. Also, there's the separation, I suppose, between some notified bodies previously had a consultancy angle to them. That's not allowed within the regulation. We never had that uh, part of the business, but that's, you know, that's a, another, I suppose, business that they have to disassociate from. Um, 
so it is it's big considerations for people going into into the space um, there's also huge liability as well for you as a notified body you're part of one of the actors within this whole uh, phase and you know if something goes wrong with the medical device you you're part of that that approval system so there's there's huge considerations that need to be given to becoming a notified body uh, yeah, and uh, we remember what happened with the PIP scandal with a notified body that was also on the on the court uh, asking uh, is it their fault or not uh, what they what happened there etc. So it's something that is really uh, really important also to consider uh, when you are when you are notified body. Um, okay, so um, in terms of uh, just I'm, I'm bouncing on what you've said just in terms of uh, there is a lot of people that are missing with those qualifications. So just my by curiosity, how are you hiring those people? Is it through LinkedIn jobs or through um, an agency or you have a special website where everything is written. If I want to be a notified body auditor, so where do I go to say, oh, NSA has some position open for me? You can come to our website. <laughs> we go to LinkedIn. We use recruitment agencies as well. NSAI is a government body, so we have only certain recruitment agents that we can use within NSAI Ireland. We have a subsidiary over in America where we're able to recruit, use a different number of recruitment agencies as well. But yeah, we are like heavily recruiting. You know, we recruit on the basis of the Annex 7 requirements. The the staff that we employ would all have to have an allied healthcare degree or an allied healthcare degree, at least a minimum of four years experience within the medical devices arena or the healthcare setting as well. Um, so yeah, we are actively recruiting all the time. So great. So thank you for that. So, so I can tick this box and say, if I want, I can be a notified body auditor then. <laughs> so it's if you have the qualifications, Munir. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, um, so uh, we, we talked now about this process. Um, now that you are um, accredited, if I can say, we still have this transition period between MDD and MDR. So can you still provide the MDD certificate uh, and after, or can you still continue to audit uh, companies that are still with MDD even after the date of application? So how is it working? Is there a rule there? Well, until the date of application comes, so now... May 2021, we can issue certificates under the old directives once we're still designated to the old directives. Um, so yes, we can. The, the problem that we have to consider is, are we taking on new applications under the directives at this point in time? Now you have to consider based on classification of device, how long that device takes to be certified. Okay. So a low risk device takes less time than a high risk device. We're talking a class three device could take two years. We're not going to be able to process a class three device in the next six months. It's not realistic. We don't want to give false hope to any of the manufacturers out there. So from our perspective, we're not taking on any new applications under the directives. Our books are open for the regulation, but not for the directive for, for new clients. As, you, as you've said, so it's really a policy that you decide to do, but maybe some other notified bodies accept still to, uh, to provide Absolutely. some uh, MDD certificate. I mean, as you said, maybe for lower risk devices because it takes less time to get to get accredited. But um, for a company that is under this transition period with the Article 123, if I remember, um, yeah. so I I still I am still able to uh, sell my products on the market under MDD. Uh, but what about the notified body? Can it still audit me just about under MDD, or should it also include some MDR requirements there? So under Article 120.3, it tells you about the, the transition period. 
So we would be auditing anybody that we have provided a certificate to under the directives, to the directives, but also in addition to the post-market requirements of the regulation and the vigilance requirements of the regulation as well, until that certificate expires. And also, if you're a class three device, you're going to have to submit your notified bodies, summary of safety clinical reports for these class three devices or periodic safety update reports as well. Um, so there's, there's a lot of interaction between the notified body and those uh, products that were CE marked under the, the directives. Uh, also, what manufacturers need to know that under the directives, once the date of application comes, you cannot make any significant changes to design or intended use. Uh, if you make those changes, then you're pushed into the regulation. And that's a, a, that's a big issue for people, you know, yeah, no, I think I think it's a good reminder. I try to I'm trying to remind that to every customer I have because each time they say to me, "Oh, let's be uh, certified before the date of application." But but I remind them, "Do you have any big change that happens after?" I say, "Yes, we have." I say, "So, I mean, <laughs> think differently because yeah, then go directly to the MDR because you will lose some time, a lot of time for nothing, and at the end you have to restart again for with the MDR." So yes, it's a, it's a good reminder. If you have any significant change by the date you do the significant change, you need to be a UMDR uh, certified, which is uh, important. Um, I think I will have another podcast episode about that. So just to clarify this point, because I think it's really a really an important one. Um, yes, it is. In terms of, uh, of your accreditation, so it means that now you can certify uh, companies within, uh, with the UMDR uh, certificate, so the new CE marking. Um, are you able to do that with the pandemic or there is some kind of uh, issues here? This is the problem, Manir. So in April 2020, the MDCG created a guidance on extraordinary measures during the pandemic. What it doesn't allow is initial certification under the MDOR for basically the on-site audits cannot be performed uh, remotely under a new certificate under the MDR. So that is a really putting a hold to the system at the moment. Product review can continue. So we do off-site product review all the time. That's a, It's separate. They co the two come together at the end where the site and the product meet, and then we would provide the CE mark. But until there is uh, acceptance that remote auditing is equally as good as on-site auditing or until the commission changes their stance, we cannot do those audits. So we have to bear in mind the health and safety of our staff. Um, you know, the pandemic, different countries are at different stages in the pandemic at the moment. Same, same as in the United States, different states have, are at different stages uh, and there's different restrictions on travel. So it's very difficult at the moment. Uh, we're doing as much as we possibly can, but um, it is limited. Yeah, I remember we had uh, we had also uh, another uh, another person on the podcast that uh, mentioned specifically that yeah, it's uh, the commission should maybe change their mind uh, in terms of that because it's um, it's a, a big burden. Uh, and I, I think also the fact that I mean NSAI, you, you said that you have an office in Ireland and an office in uh, in the US, so it means that in Ireland you can still do the audit for UMDR, I suppose. Uh, yeah, at the moment, we're at the highest level of restriction in Ireland. We're on a level five restriction. So we are limiting what where we're sending our auditors within the Irish Republic as well, because obviously different counties in Ireland are at different, you know, different pandemic levels. Um, at the moment, yeah, we can do limited on-site activity. Uh, the trouble with the US is different states are treated differently because of the, the way they're governed. So maybe Boston is open at the moment, but California is closed. So it really, 
you really have to look at where the competency resides. So even if I had an office all over the world in every little corner of the world, it doesn't necessarily mean that I have the competency within each of those offices. So that's why we have auditors who have, you know, that, that lifestyle of traveling an awful lot because we have to bring the competency to where the, the manufacturing site is. Um, so it, it is very difficult. It's a bit of a logistical nightmare at the moment where you're trying to, and it's so fluid, it changes by the day, yes. whether you can get an auditor on site or not. So, you know, it is, it, it, it's a difficult situation. We would hope that the European Commission will, will, will look at this because we don't want a case where there aren't you know, devices on the market, or we don't want uh, a case where innovation can't occur uh, within the European market as well. Um, NSAI, uh, some of my, my team are part of a working group that is being put together to create a position paper from notified bodies to be proposed to the Commission to allow us to hopefully support our ability to, to do more remote auditing. I think yeah. that would be a great help. And uh, I suppose that uh, the one-year um, extension was not helping at all for that because anyway, pandemic is a pandemic. So it's not like a uh, one year will help you to audit or accredit uh, to uh, certify more, uh, more uh, companies. So I suppose you have half of the audit that is mainly done for a lot of manufacturers and the second half is waiting this on-site audit. Absolutely. So it's, you know, that the, the, I suppose the postponement of the date of application was a blessing and a curse, okay. <laughs> you know, for, for a notified body. It was a blessing because, you know, we have, and every notified body was in the same situation, that we had a number of our existing clients who were trying to get recertified underneath the, the directives. Um, and there was a huge amount of pressure on, on the system. Um, so that date of application has given us that breather to, to make sure that we process the majority of the files as much as possible that are compliant to, to the directives. Um, but we are seeing that manufacturers are now a little bit slower to respond to us. They are taking in that grace period again and you're kind of going, no, we need the responses in. You know, May is coming up very quickly. We don't want to be in the same situation next year as we would have been in the previous year. Um, so I would advise anyone that's listening, if you have a notified body and they have queries out with you, respond to your notified body because you know come April 2021 there's going to be a huge amount of pressure on the notified body system to make sure that all the certificates are uh, released by by May 2021. No, I think it's a, it's a it's a clear message, and I hope everybody's listening. I mean, we we already suspect that that uh, as soon as there will be this announcement of the extension, a lot of companies will, I can say, shift their focus for somewhere else until the new date is arriving. And now it's it's the same situation. But we were in the middle of a pandemic, so nothing really moved during that time. So it's also something that uh, was also a, a bit difficult for for everybody. Okay, so Caroline, so really thank you, really thank you for sharing your uh, experience and everything. So um, just one thing. So uh, NSAI, we talk mainly about the medical device notified body part. So uh, is there any other services within NSAI that you are you can you can tell us here? Yeah. So even within the, the medical devices department, we're also a recognized auditing under, organization under the MDSAP program. Ah, so yeah, we're one of only 13 under the MDSAP program. So we, we do offer that service also. But NSAI is a, is a big organization. Um, we have a metrology function. Uh, within NSAI, so the home of the national metrology function and also legal metrology where they would go in to make sure that uh, customers are getting what they're 
what they're paying for, say from taxi meters to weighing of vegetables. Um, the other part is obviously we're involved in standards. The standards function is heavily involved in the creation of international standards. Um, so yeah, it's and we have other certification uh, schemes ongoing, such as motor vehicles as well. Uh, business agreement. So it's, it's a big organization. There are plenty of different functions. My, my function is just only part of it. Great. So really, thank you for that. So yeah, so don't hesitate to, uh, to call NSAI if you, if you need uh, maybe to get uh, these certifications. Uh, so do you still accept some customers for UMDR now? Absolutely. We, our books are open for the EU MDR applications. As I said, you know, the remote auditing is the challenge at the moment, but obviously product review can commence. It takes longer for the product to be reviewed than the audit to be performed. So it's always good to, to start that process. So definitely our books are open. Please contact NSAI if you would like to engage with us. Great. I will put anyway the, the links on the show notes so for people to go and to just click uh, and to get in contact uh, in contact with NSAI. So, so Caroline, really thank you for that. Thank you for uh, for your help. Uh, I hope this will help you also uh, regarding your customers, your manufacturers, the customers, so so they can understand your situation, understand that it's not really an easy situation actually, also for notified bodies, and that they have to be a bit patient because uh, it's a. Uh, something that will not be resolved soon uh, unless the commission really is deciding also to, uh, to remove some of their restrictions here. Okay, so um, Caroline, really thank you and I really wish you a nice day. And same to you, Manir. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it and also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much. 